Father, this morning we just come to you. We will just want to thank you, Father, for your goodness. Good God, awesome God, wonderful God. You're always there. Whether we be feel it or not, you are always there. And we just thank you, Lord. We never have to go through life alone, ever, because you are there. This morning we just come to you once again. We lay aside everything that concerns life. We want to keep our heart, our mind, our soul focused on you, Father. That our ears will grasp what your spirit is trying to tell us, teach us, speak to us. Your life we want and your words are life. You came to give us life and I pray, Father, that by the end of this service, we would have experienced and received more of your life into us. Speak to us, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been looking the past few weeks, uh, not last Sunday, Pastor Vijay was talking about godly mothers, but before that and on Wednesday, we've been looking at the doctrine of Christ. Different doctrines, the doctrine of men, the doctrine of demons, the doctrines of demons, the doctrines of men, and the doctrine of Christ. Because though there may be different doctrines, they're all one because it's connected with the person of Jesus Christ. So you cannot detach any of these doctrines in isolation because they are all connected in Jesus. That's why it's called the doctrine of Christ. And you will see in life what is fundamental is doctrine. Everybody has a doctrine or doctrines. Because document, do, uh, doctrine is what you actually believe. And what you actually believe determines your actions, your life, who you are. What you think is what you ultimately you do. And what you think and do is ultimately what you are. So, we need to be very, very, very clear about doctrine. What is that we believe? And the process of salvation is an entire life where we put away belief systems that do not agree with the word of God. That do not agree with the spirit of God. Put away and we put on belief systems that agree with the word of God and with the spirit of God. So life for a believer, for a Christian, life does not begin at birth. Life begins at salvation. And the earlier you are saved, the better rate of success you have in finishing your race. Because too many, too much junk hasn't gotten yet. But today, I think the babies know how to play with the mobile even when they are in their mother's womb. So you have to start preaching salvation to them when they are being carried because they're extremely smart. Today's babies, like, uh, Tabitha's baby is ready for Sunday school. You know? They are unbelievably smart today's children because that's one of the signs of the last days because knowledge is increasing. Not faith and not salvation, but knowledge is. But for a believer Christian, salvation begins at uh, life begins at salvation. And officially, there is an unofficial beginning of salvation. It's the day I you repented 
and accepted Jesus and Jesus accepted our invitation and knew that invitation was real and came into our lives. He in us and we in him. It was something very personal. Nobody knew it. Very personal. But then there was an official day when that relationship, that birth was proclaimed to the world which is called baptism. So that's the official Official, like it's a conception of a baby. Nobody knows. Sometimes even the mother herself is not aware until one day she wakes up in the morning and feels nauseous. Right? Why is she nauseous? Because something has changed within. So you will feel a nausea in your old man when you are born again because you know something ain't right here. I simply can't go like before. Something has changed. Okay? So... Born again experience is a very personal thing. Baptism is a very, very public thing. So, when the official thing takes place, it is an official proclamation of a death of an old person, the burial of an old person, and the resurrection of a new person. Okay? So let's turn today to Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 3. If then, Little, little English class, okay, if then. Okay, so the teacher, the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul is telling that. Not everybody who reads, not everybody who hears. If you are born again, if then. Because almost all scripture is meaningless or ineffective to a man or a woman who is not born again. It's like giving a pig a bath, perfuming, putting a ribbon around its neck and sending it out to the world, it will straight away go back to its dirt because it has no new life inside. So if then you were raised with Christ, that's salvation. We were dead in our trespasses. We were raised with Christ. Raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Says if you are really born again, you need to start seeking different things now. Not what you sought earlier. There has to be an absolute, total, radical paradigm shift in the way you live, you think and you seek. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died. You died. Acknowledge your death every day. I am dead. Christ is alive. And I'm seeking those things that are above. And my mind is going to be on those things in heaven and not those things on earth. There has to be this complete change in perspective. Perspective. Otherwise we are not going to move forward. One of the things is that what people don't realize is... Why did Jesus put it across in those terms? When he asked Nicodemus about kingdom and all these things, Jesus said, look, unless you are born again. See, none of us have memories. We don't have any memories of our, when we were a baby. We don't have. But if you really had the memory of a baby, you would have realized it was one of the most 
traumatic experiences for the baby to come out of a space which was absolutely dark, eyes closed, everything, to come into a world which is completely different. And Jesus put across salvation as such kind of an experience. You are born again. From light, from darkness into light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. Salvation is a radical experience. It is not a so-so kind of a lukewarm kind of a life. It's an unbelievably radical experience because you realize life it cannot be the same again. It's something has happened in me. Something has happened in me. Yes, the old man is there. Yes, you want to. Okay, even today you go back, the old man is still there. You may be 30 years old, you may be 40 years old, you may be 50 years old. Ask ask somebody to take a picture of you when you are the most comfortable and sleeping. And you will see your skull like an S and sleeping. Why? Because that's the way you slept for nine months in your mother's womb. So you will go back to that position. So the old man is there. But the new man is the real person. And the old man has mind is set on the things that are on earth. Scripture says, no, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ. Set your mind on those things that are above. We need to change our perspective about how we look at life. Our value systems on, because You cannot be a believer, a born-again believer, Christian, and still look at life the same way as the rest of the world. It's a total cop-out. You are actually arming yourself for destruction and disaster and disappointment in life because that's not what salvation means. So this morning, I want to start first with redemption. I'm not talking about redemption, but I'm talking to you about something connected with redemption. In First Peter chapter 1, when Peter talks about redemption, this is what he says. Knowing that you were not redeemed, redeemed, with corruptible things like silver or gold. Look at what God is, you see what God is actually talking about. On earth, If you want to add value, attach value to something, it is silver and gold. Okay, money, everything is irrelevant without gold. If you hold a 2000 rupee note in your hand, the actual, it is a promissory note. It is not money. It's a promissory note. The government of India guarantees you to give you a sum of rupees 2,000. What does it mean? Actually, they won't do it. Actually, we can go and demand them to give you 2,000 rupees worth of gold, which is supposed to be kept in the reserve bank. And on basis of that, the money is printed. The money has no value without gold over there. Now money has no value because there is no gold there. They're just printing notes. They're just printing notes, okay? That's what it means. So the most valuable things in this world is mentioned here. 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. This hasn't changed. It's silver or gold. Value. But scripture says, you were not redeemed with what you think valuable on earth is actually corruptible. In the vision from earth, it is corruptible. 
it has it doesn't last you were redeemed with the precious blood of jesus you are redeemed with the precious blood of jesus first you need to understand is value value because we value gold we value silver we value everything based on that how much did your dress cost how much does your company pay basically in gold and silver because we attach value to gold and silver and not to the blood of jesus we don't value our salvation because our value system is still the old way churches look at value with how much this comes in and not at the commitment of the congregation to walk with god if this is coming in my church is fantastic No. The church was not redeemed by its offering. The church was redeemed by his offering, which was not gold or silver, it was blood, his own blood. So we need to understand value. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Now when we look at this, we under, we, we sometimes struggle to understand what does this mean? If you go to the book of Leviticus we will understand what it means in Leviticus 17 for the life of the flesh the human being or creature is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul why therefore i said to the children of israel no one among you shall eat blood nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood why because the life of the creature is in the blood. So when we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, what does it mean? We were redeemed by the life of Jesus Christ. He purchased us with his own life because life is in the blood. Why we say it is that in this world you are valued by your possessions. the higher the job the greater the salary the more you bring in the more value you have god says no that's not your value system when you're born again you need to have a complete shift in your thinking about how to value stuff so the first thing in colossians says look up put your mind on things start changing the perspective about how you look When you talk about value let me get into some market terms um value actually is not determined by the seller you know that value is actually determined by the buyer let us say cell phones let us say cell phone apple brings apple 8 into india 1 lakh rupees nobody buys what will they do bring it down 90000 nobody buys 80000 nobody buys 75000 two people buy now you ask me who's setting the price ultimately price is set by the buyer it is not set by the seller 
Are you getting the picture? Price is set by how much am I willing to pay to own this? Are you getting it? How much was God willing to pay to own us? How much was God willing to pay to own us? You understand price? Not gold. Not silver. How many of you have read a short story by O. Henry called The Gift of the Magi? He's a wonderful old long time back. How many? Few of you have read at least. Yeah, okay. Few have read. It's a story of a very young couple, married couple, poor young couple, love each other very much. And it's Christmas time. Christmas is coming and they have to buy a gift for each other. The problem is she counts she doesn't have enough money to buy him a gift. He also wants her to buy a gift. The problem is they both have two incredible possessions from which they value. She's got this beautiful long hair. And he's got this old watch which belonged to his father, which is on a poor little strap. But a watch is very valuable. So they both, and he knows his wife Della, his name is Jim. He knows when he's gone out with her, she's seen this ornate comb, which she loves to put it in her hair. Okay? And she's seen him looking at a chain, which he would like to change the strap and put his watch on. So finally what happens is, she goes and she sells her hair. And buys the chain for him. He goes and sells his watch to buy the comb for him. Christmas day, when he comes in, she opens the door in excitement because she's holding the gift and he looks at her face. Her hair is gone. Right? But they cry and she tries to console him. Then my hair will grow again. And you know, but do you see? You're willing to sacrifice for what you value. You will not be willing to... You will know what you love actually in life by what you actually are paying for. What you are paying for. Just just take a look in your life and you will realize what is that I value in life? Things or people? Because what you value, you love. What you love, you're willing to sacrifice for it. That's why scripture says in 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things of the world. Don't. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't love the things of this world. It's a trap. Instead, use it for whom God loves. Are we getting what we are trying to understand about value systems? Because in the world, value is completely different. Absolutely, totally different. And believers... 
the other thing we looked at Wednesday is believers do love, but their fear is stronger than their love. They fear loss. They fear loss. They are strong. And why does scripture say perfect love casts away fear? Because it's not my love for God that casts away fear. It is my understanding of God's love for me that will set me from fear. We are still struggling in the wrong way, Lord. I am afraid because I know something is wrong with me. I don't love you the way. That's not the point. You don't know how much God loves you. Until we are aware of that. In Romans 8, this is how scripture says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Is what God is saying. He says, do you see your value, what God was willing to pay to redeem you? Do you understand your value? If God would not spare his only son, isn't everything else we ask such silly things for God? Therefore, value what God values. Let there be an absolute total change, perspective change. I am raised up with Christ. My life is hidden with Christ. So God says, therefore, love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor. We are not saying, don't value things, okay? Please don't misunderstand. Let me explain. Let's say an average. Who is the young one? Your name is Harry. Right, Harry? Let's imagine. Okay, it's a smartphone. An average new smartphone would cost around, I don't know, I've never bought a phone. The last phone I bought was in 2002. It was a big Motorola, like a walkie-talkie those days, okay? So I don't know what it is. Is it 10,000? 10K? Let's say 10K. Harry wants a phone, 10K smartphone. He goes and cries and weeps home and tells his mom, Please, 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 I want a smartphone. His mother, let's say for, let us say for math sakes, makes 500 rupees a day. Daily wages. So she makes, if she works 7 days, 30 days a month, she makes 15,000 rupees a month. He wants a phone for 10,000. That is 20 days wages. Basically, what happens is, what he is asking is 20 days of her life. That's why we say, take care of your things. It's because you have to calculate everything in terms of life. That's why these things, we don't have to keep changing. It can last for years and years and years. Because you attach something to it. Not the phone, not how smart it is, but the price that was paid in terms of life by somebody so that you could possess it. That's how you value things. That's how you value things. Because nothing just dropped out of the air when your father or your mother gives you an expensive gift. It represents a portion of their life. Anybody? 
That's what I go to other churches for youth meetings and when I tell children. How do you value education? Do you know what it cost somebody to put you through class one till graduation or post-graduation? Do you know what it cost somebody? How do you study? How do you value stuff? Because it represents a portion of somebody's life and how am I handling those lives, that life, with my time? It's what it ultimately means. Set your things on things that are about, change your value system. Say, I am valuable to God. Say, I am valuable to God. Do you have doubts? I am valuable to God. Then look at your neighbor and say, therefore you are valuable to me. You see, that's how value comes. That's how value comes. We are valuable to God. That's why he redeemed us with the blood of his son, with the life of his son. We are valuable. Attach value to those things. God values us. Therefore we love one another. Therefore, we value one another. Otherwise, we don't have value. We are just like a dog. No value. We have value because God attaches value to us. And he does not attach value to us because of anything that we are. About Israel, the Jews, he said, I did not choose you because you were smart. I chose you because you were not. I did not choose you because you were strong. I chose you because you were weak. Today people will pride about their Jewish heritage without realizing their origin. They may be the smartest set of people on earth, but they were chosen not because they were smart, because they were slaves. Because they were slaves. Understand how, why we attach value. There are two kinds of values also, primarily. One is what is a visible, tangible value, and there is something which is intrinsic which which changes certain values changes let me explain to you merchell highway there is a thousand square feet builder let us say modi builder okay there's a builder called modi not a modi the modi builder modi builder ten thousand square feet two bhk apartment it is up for sale new absolutely good well done for 30 lakhs how much thousand square feet two b two bedroom BHK, okay? Will you get the same Modi builder has another apartment block in Jubilee Hills? Same apartment, thousand square feet, two bedroom BHK. Will you get it for 30 lakhs? Why? Why did value change? Value changed because of the locality. See, everything doesn't have the same value even if it looks the same. How much does uh, 10 gram of gold, let's say 20,000 rupees. Yeah, maybe less. 15,000? 30,000, okay. 30,000 for 20 grams of gold. If I give you 30,000 rupees, how much gold can you buy? 20 grams, right? Okay. Now let us say this is 20 grams. Do you think I will sell it for 20,000 if you give me? What about 50 if you give me? Do I think I'll give you? Do you think I'll give you for 1 lakh? Do you think I'll give it for 5 lakhs? 
Why? The price of gold is only 20,000 per 10 grams, right? The only way this will be sold is if she agrees that it's a dye and needs honey, let us sell it with her permission. Otherwise, this is never sold. Did you see how value changed? We need to understand how value changes. We need to value things which have real value. We were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Not precious blood. Precious blood of Jesus. Value. And how was I saved? First Peter chapter 1, 23. Having been born again, not by again corruptible seed, but the incorruptible word of God. Boy, this is incorruptible. Gold and silver will perish, but this is incorruptible. Do you value this? Do we value this? Put a hand on your head. Say, I am not for sale. You are not for sale. Don't sell it to the highest bidder. Because you belong to God. Harry, you come over here. There are thousands and thousands. How old are you? Fourteen. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? There are thousands of young people in the world. But he has believed in Jesus. He has accepted Jesus. Therefore, you know what? His value is different by association. All people do not have the same value in the eyes of God. He has been redeemed and born again by the incorruptible word of God. Therefore, his value has been enhanced. Understand that. God doesn't look at the whole world the same way. Yes, he died for the whole world, but all are not his children. There is something that has happened. In Genesis 1.27, we all mankind has value because God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created. But something changed. In John chapter 1, verse 12, scripture says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So all had value because they were created in his image. But all those who received him became his sons and daughters. So their value has changed. How? A thousand square feet BHK apartment has moved from Merchell Highway to Jubilee Hills. Value has changed because of association. Genesis chapter 25 verses 5 to 6 beautifully explains. 5 plus 6 plus 1. 7 children. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had and while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country to the east. He had seven sons, but only one was a child of promise, born of God. All he had went to him. All the others received rich gifts. It's not the same. God will give rich gifts to the people in the world, but he will give his son only to those who receive. That's how you understand value. When you look at the houses and you look at the cars and you look at their salaries in this world, they are all corruptible. You are saved by the incorruptible blood and the word of Jesus Christ. So God says, your value system needs to change. 
your value system needs to change. Now that you have understood how God looks at us and what our real value is, we have to change how we look at life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Mark this part. You are not your own you were bought at a price. Want to do one more exercise? Put your hand up. I am not my own. I was bought at a price. You are not your own. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And you know what that price was? The price was the very life of God's own son. Not gold. All the gold in this world, all the silver in this world couldn't have bought one soul. It had to be the life of God's own son. That's your price. That's my price. When the devil owned us, we were slaves. When God redeemed and bought us, we became sons and daughters. And understand this. Sonship. Daughtership also. Okay, There is a ship called daughtership also. Okay, Sonship, you are all included. Okay, uh, The Bible uses the term sonship to use daughters also. Sonship comes with two primary factors. One, because I am a son, I have rights. Two, because I have, I am a son, I have responsibilities. When it comes to rights, this is what scripture says in Romans chapter 8. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What is the spirit? Bears witness with our spirit. That's that's the confirmation. It's not something here. How do you know you are a child? Because I can repeat John chapter 3 verse 16. No, here you know. The spirit tells your spirit, you are my child, don't worry. That's why in turbulence you have this calmness. Because you know your spirit is telling your spirit, chill man, you are my son. Don't have to worry, nothing's going to happen. Our spirit, we are the children of God. And if children, then... Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. So if you are a son, you have rights, you are heirs. In Galatians 3.29, again in another portion, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Meaning you are counted among Isaac and not the children of the concubines. The children of the concubines are filling this world spiritually. They will get rich gifts. But all God has is for his children. The Isaac seed. You are not of Keturah. You are not of Hagar. You are of Sarah. So he says, don't worry about, oh, Keturah's son has two tolas of gold. I have none. God says, you have the blood. You have my word. You have my spirit. Don't value yourself through tangible things. Understand things that have real value. Understand what has real value. So this is my right. But along with sonship, daughtership, comes responsibilities. There's one problem with rights. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of 
you're the master of everything. I mean, it's yours. But you're no better than a slave. That's why we push you to grow from a child to a son so that you can inherit, we can inherit when we go up. You cannot remain a baby Christian. All is yours, yet you get none. The maid is in charge. When you leave your home, who is in charge? The maid is in charge. Spiritual maids are angels sent to take care of those who are being saved. But if you are not saved to the uttermost when you reach heaven, they will be still in charge of you. And you are not in charge of them. Okay, understand. We have duties. We have responsibilities. That's what Jesus means in 7.21 that unless you do my father's will, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my father in heaven Son understands the will of the Father. In 1 John 2, 17, earth, this world is passing away, the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Father. Babies don't understand the will of the Father. They only know their will. They never seek to understand the will of their Father. So you could be 80 years old, 70 years old, and only know your will. And your prayer is primarily, let my will be done. Revelation 21, 7 says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. So God says, you have to overcome. Imperative. And when about Jesus, why was he given the highest place? Scripture says in Hebrews 10, therefore when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. To do your will, O oh God. He said, Lord, I have come to do your will. And he did God's will to the T. And God said, I have lifted you up to the highest place. If you do not fulfill our responsibilities, we will not be able to inherit our inheritance. So what is the solution? The solution is what we looked in the beginning, Colossians chapter 3. What is that? Set your mind... Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Let there be a change of perspective. Where does it begin? How do you change your value system? This is something that has to take place inside. How do you do? In Luke 16, this is what scripture says. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your heart. So what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What does it mean? He says, your value system has to change. What is highly esteemed among men? Money, good clothes, valuable things, big houses, a good resume. All this is highly esteemed. What does all these things mean? Nothing in the kingdom of God. We have to change your value system. If I'm going to look up at heaven, I need to see what does God value most in heaven? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 scripture says, Now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. God says of the three things which you have right down on earth and in heaven, the most valuable is these three. This is the most valuable. What is it? Love, faith, and hope. When it came to love, let it very clear, because everything of value 
has to be tested. Will be tested so that we understand its value. In Matthew 22, this is what Jesus said. Teacher, which is the great commandment, a great commandment in the Lord? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. Did you see what is the most valuable thing in heaven? Now that I am redeemed by the blood, if I were to look up and seek what is of great value in God's sight is Lord. How do I love you with all my heart, all my mind, all my strength because I need to change my value system. This is what is valuable. Now we saw a little early, you will know, you will love, you will sacrifice for what you love. Ultimately, you value what you love. So if you want to really now first find out what is that I love? What am I willing to sacrifice? What is that you value? You will know that is it. And if that is not God, God says start changing. Our love will be tested. Our love for God will be tested. Let me tell you about love. Problem is, do you know the title of Wednesday's message? If there is mist in the pew, there will be fog in the, in the, in the mist in the pulpit, there will be fog in the pew. First we need to understand is, unless we know God, we don't even know what love is. We don't even know what love is. We don't know. We think we love, but every Gentile loves. And we are no better than a Gentile. That's why God will test our love. Our love will be tested and be allowed to be tested by God so that I can know, not you, not him. He knows that we will know whether our love is tested. And that is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Whoever denies me before men, him also I will deny before my father who is in heaven. Do you see that? You know something? On earth, we don't deny those whom we love. We want to be seen with them. If you love your phone, you're always walking with your phone like this. New phone. Why? Because you love it. See how much we love things? Because you will see how much we put things in the forefront for people to see. How much we love certain people, we push them to the front because we get some glory out of it. God says, do you deny me before men? Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Where? For I have come to set a man against his father. Why would you do that? So that you would know whether you love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. I came to set you in variance to your father, a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Suddenly you realize, you know what? That's the way it begins. Anywhere you go in the world, anywhere you check history, anywhere you check the Bible, you will see for any man who is saved, comes to know God, trouble begins in his home. So, be father, mother, brother, somebody, but at home. Begins for everybody at home. Where did Abraham's trouble begin? It didn't begin with the authorities in Haran or Ur. It began at home. 
Because his father refused to move into the promised land. It began at home. Where did problem begin for Isaac? Genesis 21 verse 9. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham was scoffing. Who? With his brother Ishmael. Trouble for Isaac when he was a little boy began with his elder brother scoffing him. Oh, you are the promised one, right? You are the one who is going to inherit. Trouble for Isaac even before he had lost his innocence. Trouble began in his home. Where did trouble began for Jacob? Genesis 27 verse 41. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. Esau said to him in his heart, the days of mourning for father at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Where did trouble for Jacob begin? At home. Where did trouble for Joseph begin? Not in Potiphar's house. Genesis 37, 19. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Let us kill him. And throw his body into the well. Is he where everybody? Where did trouble for Moses begin? Numbers 12, Numbers 14, and number 16, if I am right. Number 16, trouble with the eldership of the church. Korah, Datan, and 250, 350 elders. That is number 16. Numbers 14, the people rebel. Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron, his own brother and sister. It, it was, it, what started at the home is what went into the church and went into the leadership. It started at home. Moses' trouble did not begin with the people or with with his eldership. It began with his elder brother and his sister. Everybody. All had to be tested. Why? Will you still love me? Because these are the close relationship with which whom we have grown. Attached to. And when you have to choose a higher love. How do you know unless you are tested in that area? John chapter 7 verses 3 to 7. His brother said to him. To whom? To Jesus. Who? His brothers, his own half-brothers. Depart from here, go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Jesus had trouble in his home. His brothers did not believe him. Another place, his brother and mothers came to take him. Another place it says, they said he was mad. God will show us whether our real, our love, because it has an incredible value in heaven, that love is genuine or not. Can our love be tested? Because what you hear today, being preached, not in the world, world is full of the false love, but being preached is a very subtle, humanistic message in the name of God. Loving your neighbors, ultimately at the cost of loving God. Let me ask you, how many of you watched the wedding yesterday? Oh, you're good. You didn't even know there was a wedding yesterday. Only my wife and Pratik, yeah, okay, they watched. Yesterday, Prince Harry got married. The second, the third to the British throne, the other, only other son, he got married yesterday to Meghan Merkel. What happened was that one of the jokes which I told one of my friends was 407, 407 p.m. Edurapa resigned and walked out of power. 408, Harry walked down the hill to lose his power. Okay, <laughs> he lost, lost his freedom yesterday. Okay, but that's just a joke aside. But uh, 
Because you were in there, so does, I thought people would listen. How many of you listened to the message that was preached yesterday? Okay, those who watched, listened. Okay. Now I know a lot of people were, were very excited by the message. Uh, a lot of people, okay, were very excited by the message. Bishop Curry was preaching and he was going all about, the whole message was about love and love and love and fire and fire and love, Solomon, seal, this thing. And people got so excited by all that message. Uh, you should see all the media, every news report is talking about the message. Every news, western news is talking about Bishop Curry's message. But if you know your doctrine, and you listen to his message, you knew the message was false. And he's speaking to one billion people. In the most exalted Windsor Castle Chapel, with the entire royalty and who is who in the world, not in the kingdom, in the world, all audience, one billion watching on TV and he's preaching on love. But the problem you don't understand is the Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church in America are part of the same economical union. And he is the head of the Episcopal Church in US. The church which has sanctioned the blessing of same-sex couples and has ordained gay clergy. Therefore, when he preaches about love, he will not attach truth to it. He will make it a very secular love, which demands nothing. And you look at the audience sitting over there, and the camera will focus, BBC will focus on one audience, one guy sitting there with another guy, one guy wearing pink glasses. Over and over it will go while he's preaching. Because these are all motives, unless you know how to read news. Like I said on Wednesday, you will not understand that there is an agenda behind everything that is happening. With a huge worldwide audience and Christians who are watching and saying, wow, because they don't know their doctrine, have no idea heresy is being preached to the entire world using this platform. And who is the guy with pink? That is Elton John. Who is the one sitting next to him? Is his husband, the man, his husband, who have two sons through surrogate mothers. The same guy who said, Jesus is a compassionate, super intelligent gay man who understands human problems. You understand how they are using this platform to sell a love in which he used the word redemption. But what are you getting redeemed from? What are you getting redeemed from? What are you being redeemed from? What are you being saved from? You understood? See, our issue is that we don't understand a lot of things. And when as a preacher, any man of God goes to any pulpit, doesn't matter how exalted the audience is. In Galatians 1.10, Paul says very clearly, he says, For I do not persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. We get carried away by all these props and names and crowns and clothing and glory. See, this is our issue. We are not able to see how the world is being duped by using all these props. We need to understand what we are fighting. What do we believe? How true is our doctrine? Because there is this false humanistic doctrine which talks about love in which there is no truth. That's why our love will be tested. In Matthew 29, 22 and verse 39, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? 
That's why much of our love is false. Because we love, we value the approval of our neighbor. Let me make it very clear. We value the approval of our neighbor more than their redemption. God loved us, therefore he redeemed us. We love our neighbor, but we don't want their redemption. We want their approval. And even if we value their redemption, we don't value it enough to sacrifice for it. It's all token. So ask this question, what has it cost me to love my God? What has it cost me to love my neighbor? Understand one fundamental principle. True love will often hurt, but it does not harm. God will hurt his children because he loves them, but he won't harm his children. Let me ask you the question. When the nurse is giving you an injection, she is hurting you. Is she harming you? When you are lying on that surgeon, that table, when the surgeon is cutting you open, he is hurting you. But is his intent to harm you? And it takes spiritual maturity to distinguish between hurt and harm. Children don't understand the difference between hurt and harm. They always think I am hurt, therefore I am harmed, I am not loved. Psalm 119, verse 71 and 72. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. So mature son of God, David, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand coins of gold and silver. Suddenly his value system changed when he got a few spankings from his heavenly father. He says, my value system changed now. Now that I'm afflicted, I really understand in life what are things of real value. God in his love will hurt us because he values us. So that we will learn to value those things which are truly valuable. False teachers will not hurt us at all. But in the long run, they cause irreparable harm to their congregations because they don't really love them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor... Or... Then how do you bless same-sex marriages? How do you ordain same-sex... How do you ordain homosexual priests? And then give them this book to preach from. How are they going to preach from that? They are going to change the whole thing and make it a very nice, feel-good gospel. Does that save you? No, it does not. It does not save you. Did you see scripture? This is not old covenant. This is a new covenant. If you do not fight these things, if you do not fight these things, we do not love our neighbor. The Bishop Curry can speak to a billion audience because they're in the public space to a public audience. That's why I'm saying. Can speak to one billion audience in Windsor Chapel on love. But the fact is 
He does not really love God. Neither does, does he love his neighbor to tell them the truth. In Ephesians 4.15, God said this, but speaking the truth in love. If there is no truth in my love, my love is false. It's not real. My love is false. Therefore, if there is mist in the pulpit, there is fog in the few. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21, what is God tells children? Little children, keep yourself from idols. The first thing, before you can go over to young man who can overcome the young man, uh, the overcome the evil one, what does scripture say? Stay away from idols. So this is written to believers, so it is not talking about idols of murti. It's not talking about that. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Which is, so we know what idolatry is. What is idolatry? Idolatry is covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry. We covet so many things that belong to others. We even covet honor and recognition that we did not work for, nor did we earn. Therefore we are stuck as children at the gate and our love is not ever sanctified. Our value system has not changed. So think about covetousness is being preached under the gifts of the gospel. Idolatry is being preached. How to covet for these things and that things and that things and this things and that honor and this honor and all that. That's what is being preached. And it is idolatry. And in the process what you keep the congregation as, if they are saved, you keep them as children. Because they are not being taught to overcome. So our value system never changed. Like I said, salvation is a very radical thing. Our value system. Why are we so miserable? Why? I'm using a general term. Why are Christians so miserable? If you are saved and you are going to heaven, you are going to pass into eternity and you are going to be in glory. Why are people so upset? It's because your value system is still the old. You're not thinking on the things that are valuable in heaven. We've been taught to think on things that is on earth. And we are not past the test. And God said the most valuable thing in heaven is love. And we don't even know what that love is. Because we are hearing these messages of all these false love which is available in the world, which is humanistic love, which is at this level. Love your neighbor, therefore don't hurt him. By not hurting him, you may harm him, it doesn't matter. As long as you love him and he loves you, have his approval, it doesn't matter whether he doesn't go to heaven. It doesn't matter. It's like the doctor who prescribes paracetamol for a cancer patient. No problem. You know, it's just pain. Just take this. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Initial stages, you could have been cured. By terminal stage, he goes to another thing and said, where have you come from? 
You could have been cured. You have come too late. Why? What's wrong? I just have fever. He said, no, you don't have fever. You have cancer. Because we didn't teach them. We didn't show them what was really important in the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5, look to what Jesus says. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, yeah? So love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the just. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? A simple question. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? And Jesus brings to the common denominator of his time. In our language, even the gundas do that. That's what you're talking about. The tax collectors were the gundas of those days who forcibly took money from people in the name of Rome. Says even the gundas love their own. How do you know better than a gunda? You love your own, big deal. You love your wife, you love your son, you love your grandson, you love your grandchild. Oh, no big deal. All the gundas also do that. You're just a gunda. How are you different, he says. How do you call that God's love? That is a human love. And God says, how are we going to reach what God demands us to overcome? See, when we preach only about gold and silver and money and success in this world, wow! The attention of the people, you have to see the reaction in the pews. It's not fog. It is like accidents. They're falling over each other on the pew. When you hear all this. But we have taken our eyes of what is of actual value in heaven. Because God said, thou shalt not covet. Covetousness is idolatry. And what is that idol? The idol is self. I am the idol. You know why I don't tell the neighbor the truth? Because I want his approval. I'm scared if I tell him the truth and the gospel, I will lose his approval. So let me have his approval. Even if he goes to hell, it doesn't matter to me as long. Remember Hezekiah? Remember Hezekiah? God said, this is what's going to happen to Israel. Hezekiah said, but it will happen during your son's time. He said, it's good. It won't happen during my time. Anyway, by then I'll be dead and gone. So many believers are like this. They have attached value to themselves. I am redeemed by the blood of lamb. But they don't attach redemption to their neighbor. They don't attach value to their neighbor. God says, you know why? It's because you are your idol. You are your idol. You are your idol. Idolatry has to be broken. What are you coveting today? Ask God. Lord, what am I? The scripture actually talks about coveting. He says, covet spiritual gifts. But we covet material gifts. We covet something that belongs to the world system. You want a name. You want an honor. That's why these WhatsApp messages going around now that another CM is going around. What different does it make if some pastor prayed over him? I can show you as many WhatsApp if you want of pastors praying over Modi. Has it changed him? No. No big deal. These things are all mean nothing. First thing I look at anybody, I look at his right hand. How many colored threads are there? I know what you are bound with. Because behind that there is a bondage. 
There is a bondage. I'll pray for you. The only thing we ask is, give us peace. I don't expect any favor from you. Just be righteous and peace. Because if my God is righteous, the only thing I need to ask from authorities is, be righteous. You don't have to show favoritism. Just be righteous. That's all. That's all we ask from authorities. Because now we have this way of this thing, you know, like now that pastor, two pastors will, one will go pray over Rajnath Singh, another will pray over this thing, then WhatsApp messages, now that pastor is a great person, you know why? Because he prayed over them. The other guys behind him are attacking all the churches. What prayer didn't make it? They will also hold this Bible and do this thing and all this Natak they will do. These things make no difference. If you really want to have a difference, when you had a one-time chance, you no, know, one-time chance like Pastor Stubbs had, a one-time chance when he was called for Christmas to pray for all the, the CM had called all the pastors to pray for the Christmas dinner that those days CMs used to do that. And when he, that day he was asked to pray. And he prayed for 10 minutes and he gave the gospel message in his prayer, knowing that is the only opportunity I may have in my life to reach to this crowd of ministers. And he told them of the redemption, the death and the judgment that is coming. That is what Paul and all did before Agrippa and Felix and all. He knows one time chance and he started talking to them about self-control, righteousness and judgment and they shivered before him. It is not like mollycoddling this, oh God will bless you. No, God won't bless them. He blesses the righteous. When you are put in a position of authority, you pervert justice, he is not going to bless them. Then we are making our God unrighteous. When you get a chance, you need to say, Lord, give me the courage and the grace to say what I need to be. Not, you don't have to be rough and rude and all. That's Elijah's job because that's, he's been called to do that. And John the Baptist's job. But we don't mollycoddle. We are not looking for a name or a reputation. We have to look at what truth is. Because you get one time in a lifetime, you need to see that, Lord, let this happen. Because you know what? Covetousness destroys people. You don't want the favor of people, you want favor of God. Favor with God and favor with man because God touches men's heart. In Jeremiah 6 verse 13 and 14, this is what God says. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. What does covetousness do? If I covet something from Peter, Peter has something which I like, I would love to have. Then I am not going to be true to him. I will not show what I really in I will say, Peter, you are so good now. Let us go for chai, this thing. I will flatter him. I will deal with him falsely because my eye is not in him. My eye is on what I can get from him. We deal falsely. We deal falsely. That's what we have to be careful about. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Not the, the people have been hurt. They're walking in sin. They're walking in iniquity and they're on one way track to, to hell. And they're telling no problem. God loves you. No issues. They're all going. Just do what we tell you to do. No issues. That's what God is talking about. Covetousness, falsehood, the wounds of the people are not dealt with. They are wounded by sin. But because we covet the approval and the honor of people, we preach falsehood. Why? Because salvation is something very, very radical. And you go through the Bible, you will see no man of God, no prophet, 
preacher preaching like that. They don't do that. Jesus will call it being born again. It's like a rebirth. Paul and Peter will call about it from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Our world is turned literally upside down, but actually right side up. Because our value system has been radically changed. One of the reasons I believe the delay of the Lord in coming is the gospel has lost its power. If a doctor tells, give this 2 mg of this medicine, antibiotic has to be given 3 times a day, into that 2 m, 20 mg, you take 5, 15 mg off and add a distilled water and give 5 mg, you know what happens? It's not going to work for you. We have watered down the gospel so much. Gospel. It's no longer the gospel. To the point the world has been saturated with the false gospel which is about man and not about the redemption of man. It is not about the kingdom of God. It's about the kingdom of man. And what has actually happened is when people hear the true gospel, they are offended. They are offended. You see, earlier when people heard, you need to realize, whenever people heard the gospel in the Bible, they were cut to the heart. The ones who had received a false set of teachings were the ones who were offended. The Gentiles usually were not very offended by the gospel. But the Jews were very offended with the gospel. That's, so the problem is not with the people. The problem is with the pulpit. It's a mist over the pulpit. The problem is not never with the people. The problem has been with the preachers. That's why on Wednesday we said, God said, I warn you. What did he say? I warn you. Many of you should not be teachers. Because a wrong idea, a wrong perception about God can take you all the way to destruction. That's the importance of doctrine. Because we are saved because of correct doctrine. It is the word of God, incorruptible word of God that gave us birth. It's not anything else. It is the word of God that. And if we corrupt, take that incorruptible word of God and corrupt it, our entire salvation is at stake. And therefore, we don't even realize. And the love that we preach is not the radical love that Jesus was talking about and demonstrated on the cross. And Stephen, when he's dying, and all the apostles down the ages, the love their demonstration was radical. Instead, we are speaking about a love which is always available in the world. Always there. Normal, natural human love. And we preach that and substitute the radical love of God with the human love of God. Now we have been totally been compromised. We have received a false salvation. We have accepted the world. That's why there is so much offense in the western world with the preachers, conservative preachers. Because they take love your neighbor as yourself. So what is your problem? I am marrying a man because I love him. That's why I said yesterday, if you listen, listen to Bishop Curry's speech, you would see that exactly what he was intending yesterday. Because his denomination has legalized something which God in his Bible calls an abomination. See, how you can twist, twist scripture while actually taking the power of scripture away? Because when you want to love somebody, when you really, really love somebody, you will want to please that person. 
There is sacrifice involved. We saw the story of Jim Mandela. Let's look at, let's we have another five, ten minutes left. Let's look at First Corinthians chapter 7. Now, this is not connected with marriage, okay, but we're talking about, it's connected with marriage, but at a different perspective we are looking. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Okay? Now, same thing, you can go back there. The same thing about the wife also. What is God saying? God's saying, if you get married, he's not saying you should not get married. There is this. The husband has to please his wife. The wife has to please his husband. It is mandatory in a marriage. But he says, anybody wants to please the Lord with all his heart, then don't get married. Don't get married. Now it's not talking about not getting married. It's talking about pleasing God. It's not a rule like in the Catholic Church. No, that's not what he's saying. Pleasing God. But you understand what he's trying to say? He says, if you want to please somebody, if you love somebody, you want to please somebody. Right? And in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, God says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. I want you to put this together in the last 5-10 minutes, okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay? If you love somebody, you have to please somebody. If you love God, you have to please God. Now to please God, I need to have faith. Faith means I hear what God is saying and I do what God is saying. But the problem is, preach, faith teachers, you have plenty in the world now. And they have been there around for some 30, 40 years. These are, they focus on faith, 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 faith. Okay? Faith. They talk about faith, 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 faith. But the danger with them is that they detach love from faith. They detach love from faith. They isolate faith from love. I will tell you the danger of it, okay? Because let's look at the next portion. First Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but not have love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understanding of mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. God says there are three important things, the most important three things in heaven. Love, faith, hope. Don't detach them. Don't try to focus on one without the other. These three have to go together. In Galatians 5, 6, if I am right, right? Yeah. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through, through love. If faith does not work in love, God says it has no meaning. One of the problems what we face as believers is that when we focus so much on faith, we detach love from it. God says when you detach love from it, all your incredible great works will mean nothing at the end. You look at the end of Gideon. Look at the end of Samson. Look at the end of Solomon. Did they all have faith? Of course they had incredible faith. Why were their ends so miserable? Because they detached love from faith. Look at David. Why is David's end so great? Jacob's end so great? Because they refused to detach love from faith. 
we have to be careful about it how we balance we need to be very very careful first we change our value system and look at what is valuable in the kingdom of god and then understand when god talks about love what does it mean and when god talks about faith what does it mean and lord i need to have faith i need to have love i need to have faith and then my hope is real these three go together these three go together Absolutely go together. You cannot have one without the other. You should not have one without the other. They go together. Because the motivating power behind the life of faith should be love. And if we do not, we have lost our value. Our value system has gone. So we have value because we are created in God's image. Our value has been enhanced because of our redemption. That's how we look at our value. Then we look at Everybody, and we look, there is no Dalit, there is no Shudra, there is no caste system, there is no race, there is nothing, because everybody has been paid the same price. That's how you love your neighbor. You love your neighbor only by seeing my neighbor has the same value that I have, because the same price has been paid for him by the same Redeemer. Now that's what God is asking us. Do we value people that way? Like I was telling yesterday, one social evil in the last days became the best thing in India. The social evil in India was the caste system. Terrible. But if the caste system hadn't been there today, 80% of the population was one homogeneous entity. Boy, India would have become like Saudi Arabia or Iran long time ago. But it is not. What is keeping them apart? The caste system. Because whenever, see, unity is not something to be achieved because there is a unity in Babel. Every unity without love has only brought destruction of mankind. Go to Saudi Arabia. In another two weeks, the women will be allowed to drive after so many years in Saudi Arabia. And yesterday a poor lady drove and she was arrested. Because two weeks, she wasn't willing to wait for two weeks. You think these people with the agenda, people don't even realize. If these people come to power and their agenda is played out, you are the first ones who will suffer. Not us, you, the women. In every society, when these autocratic people come in, it's the women who suffer the most. You go to Iraq, you go to Syria, you go to Iran, you go to Saudi. Who are the ones who suffer most? It's the women. It's the women. And it is the same women whom they induce with free rice and free raisins who go and vote them in. Because their eyes have been blinded. If you think these people come to power in under 10-15 years time, all of you will be working in offices and walking around in your jeans and t-shirt. You got a dream coming in. Nightmare coming in if you think they will allow you go to some of the cities in North India and see if they allow boys and girls even to walk and talk on the roads. They don't. They don't. See, we forget the freedom which God has given us to choose, right or wrong. These are systems that take away even that freedom to choose. Take that freedom away from you. Understand what is coming. That's why I said you need to pray. The only ones who can stop these powers from taking over 
are God's people who pray, who understand, who is not fooled by all these preachers of covetousness, who are preaching for the kingdom of God to come with its power, with its authority, with its righteousness, who stand in the gap and they pray. And they pray and say, Lord, have mercy upon this nation. Have mercy on this nation. Have mercy. Because 1.2 billion people and over a billion plus do not know Christ at all. Villages after villages after villages in North India, the panchayats have passed resolutions, no Christian allowed. How do you go to preach? No evangelism, no preaching, no church. have to pray, God, because God can do anything. The country which I am going next week, when the church got saved and excited, they decided to go into a remote area in the forest. They heard there is a village over there. They thought we will go there and we shall evangelize. So they took travel, they walk three, four, five, six days, seven days later when they reached their village to their surprise, they found the entire village was Christian. How? From the radio and radio alone. Not a single man had gone there and preached the word of God. They heard the word of God on the airways. One lady got saved. She passed, she passed, passed. By the time these people reached there, the entire village was saved. You have to stand in the gap and say, Lord, we surrender the situations into thy hands. We don't know how you will do it. But I am there in the gap. And I am there willing to pray because I look and I see value in these things because you have attached your value to these things. Therefore I pray. My value system has changed. Therefore Lord, I will value what you love. You love people. And if I love people, I can't go. I can't go. That's what scripture says. How can they go unless they are sent? Maybe you don't have money to give. It doesn't matter. The church doesn't need money. The church needs prayer more than money. If everybody here sitting today were for the next 40 days to set aside one hour a day to pray, I'm telling you, you will see things happening. You will see things happening. And why do you pray? You pray because you love God and you love people. All our social programs, all the feeding of the poor, all the covering of their naked bodies is not going to take one soul to heaven. It's not going to take one soul to heaven. The only thing that will take souls to heaven is the word of God. You and I are born by the incorruptible seed that is the word of God. How can they be saved unless they hear? How can they be saved unless they hear? And that's what they are trying. The enemy knows. So what he's trying to do is he's blocking avenues from people from hearing the word. And God's people get into their knees and say, Lord, let these walls be broken down. Why? Because I not only see my value when I look into your word, I also see my power. Because your word says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Your word says, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You can trample upon snakes and scorpions. When I study the word of God, I realize it is not people. It is powers of darkness which has blinded them. 
I don't have, I can love the people and go after the powers of darkness and bind them and continue releasing the people. The only thing, Lord, more power, I need more power. And God says, you had a value because you were created in my image. Your value has been enhanced now that you are a child of God. You can arise in value now if you do one final thing, he says in First Timothy chapter 2 and verse in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of... He says, you know what? You can be now an incredible vessel of honor in my hands. If you choose to do one thing, one thing, you can be. And then he says, we have a one man like that standing on Mount Carmel. He's a vessel of honor. Powers of darkness will flee before him. I have one man standing in the gap. Because he's a vessel of honor, I will bind and the people will be released. And that is a man whose heart is for God, whose heart is for the people. Ahab will go to drink. Ahab will go to eat. Elijah will not rise from his knees until he's got the report, what? The hand of the Lord is risen. Why? The people are suffering. There's no rain in the land for three and a half years. He said, yes, I have prayed. I have repaired the altar. The people have repented. Sin has been destroyed. The king has eaten. But I cannot rise from my knees. Because one more thing. Why? People are suffering. My heart is for the people. Yes, God provided for me miraculously, one through the raven, other through a woman whose barrel never went dry. But I look at the people, the land is under a curse. Until the hand of the Lord rises over them, I am not going to rise from my knees. And when he hears the eighth time the hand, that's when he rises and he says, I hear the rain. These are people who genuinely loved God and loved people. Whether That's why I said, that's why Jesus said about these secret things. Whether you love God and man will be known in the closet. It won't be known anywhere. Outside you can fake it. If you have 10 lakh rupees, if you give 10,000 rupees, people will think you are a gracious man. God knows you kept. That's what he told Ananas and Sapphira. You think you are gracious. I know how much you kept back and how much you said you are giving. You are saying you are giving 100% and you kept 90 at home and giving 10% to show before people you are a gracious person. Well, I am judging you for your graciousness. God says what you do in secret is what is seen in heaven. God says you all can have a secret life. We are Today we are on our 30th or 29th day of fasting. What are we fasting for? One thing. That's why I said pick your fast. Whatever is making you unclean, fast from that. I want to be a vessel of honor, Lord, in your hands in this 11th year. I'm changing my value system. I'm changing my value system. Why? Because I love you. And I love this nation. I love this land. I love this people. I love this people. Give this land one more chance, O Lord. I don't think there is any nation on earth like India. Where even China is supposed to have around 300 to 400 million believers. How much are there in India? Government statistics doesn't give us any numbers. Where are the believers? We had the freedom unlike China to preach. Where are the Christians? Where is the salvation? Where is it? 
And now the freedom is being slowly, slowly, slowly being taken away and we are panicking. We didn't reach this nation for 2,000 years. God said, I didn't send an apostle to China. I sent one to India. I sent one to India. I didn't send one to Pakistan or Bangladesh. I sent one to India. I didn't send one to Korea or Thailand or Japan. I sent one to India. And he said, what did you do? What did you do with what I gave you? That's why we as pastors, we pray and we put this line of blood across the wind. He has been saying the gospel came to the south. Your man died in the south. Let them not cross across into the south. From the south, we will go to the north. And still yesterday, God has honored our word. He's not allowing them to cross. Now that he has honored our prayer, God says, now what are you going to do? Sit there and say, thank you, Lord. Now we have freedom. Let us go back to sleep. God said, you have slept enough for 2,000 years. Arise, O church. Arise, O sleeper. Arise. Get into your closets. Value those things. Like you will sit with your internet and keep on doing things because you value something. He said, put away one hour. Put away half an hour because you value people. And start interceding for this nation. Interceding for the churches. First for the churches. Lord, let there be true, genuine revival in all the churches. Because when the salvation comes, God needs houses to fill them in. So Lord, let the revival begin in your house. Let the pastors change. Let there be no mist over the pulpit. Let their hearts be true. Let them look for no appreciation, honor from people or leaders in this land. Nothing. Let there be genuine men of God, whether they stand before a beggar or whether they stand before Felix. Peter will look at the poor man and say, yes, he's got faith to be healed. Paul will look at Felix and says, you have no faith to be saved. No distinction. No distinction. We need men like that. We need men like that. Not men who will go into the White House, men and women, and put hands over him and pray over his back, but to actually tell him in the face, Mr. President, just tweet a little less. And be respectful when you talk. It's not good. It's not good. I know you're the most pro-Christian, pro-Jewish president ever in human history, but sometimes your words are very hurting and very harmful. And you as a president should not be talking like that. Should have the courage to look him. So many of the pastors walk in and walk out, walk in and walk out and pray over him. Why don't they have the guts to tell you what he needs to hear? That's a true man of God. That's what he needs to hear. He's a good man. He's helping everybody. But that's not what is the stumbling block. The stumbling block is the things which he says, which he shouldn't be saying. That's what I'm talking about. Where you should have the boldness because you love somebody. Because God loves us, he hurts us, but he does not harm us. False prophets, false apostles, false preachers and the enemy does not hurt us because he does not love us. Because he does not hurt us, we don't realize we are being harmed and sometimes irreparably harmed. So this morning, let's stand before the Lord. Let us ask the Lord, Father, 10 years are almost up. One more Sunday and we are up. You brought us through. We have run after so many things which are important in the world. But God said, seek these things first. This is what is most important in God's kingdom. Love, faith, hope, righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Righteousness, he said. 
Pursue peace with all men and holiness with God. Otherwise no man will see. Yes, already if we search through scripture, we will see what are those things of enormous value in his kingdom. Therefore the apostle says, if indeed you are raised up with Christ, if indeed, then set your mind on things that are above. This morning as we stand in God's house, let us surrender ourselves into his hands. It is only he who can strengthen us and empower us to keep these things. All we can do is come and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. I don't want this coming 11th year starting in June to be like the previous years because your promises are there. You have said that season is here, the season of unbelievable open doors and blessings are here for people who seek after God. And I'm telling you honestly, you stand with God. It's like Joshua asked, are you for us or against God? said, neither. You need to make your mind up where you are standing with. If we decide to stand with God and go the whole way, this 11th year he will do in many lives which you've been waiting for years. He will open doors for, he will promote you. But only thing you ask God is, Lord, let there be nothing in my heart but you. Because he's going to bless a lot of people. I know it's coming in chapter, in the 11th year. He will. If you put yours, the condition is all, I will never put anything unconditional, which is nothing unconditional in the Bible. If you prepare yourself, God said, I will use you as a vessel of honor. And some of you are going to be enormously blessed with wealth. But let it not be a bondage. Let it never tie your heart down. Never, never, never read Romans 12 and find out why wealth is given to the believer. Never let yourself be tied down by wealth. Never let yourself be tied down by fear. Don't be tied down with fear. I see that in the church. So many are bound by fear. Fear of loss. That's because you put a lot of things in this world with value. God says, no, don't. You cannot lose in loving. You cannot lose by walking in faith. You cannot lose by having hope in Christ. No, you cannot lose. Put your faith in things which have real value. Fear will go its go out of your life. Committing young people this morning, by June, many of you will starting new careers. Eleventh year, many of you will be going to college, new places. Ask God, Lord, I'm going to a new place. I don't know what awaits me there. All I'm asking, Lord, go before me. I've heard for 10 years in this church, I may be going to another place. I may be going to a new institution. All I ask, Lord, come along with me. I cannot handle this in my strength. I need your power. I need your presence. Mothers with little children, pregnant mamas, so many new beginnings are going to be there. And we all need God. Even the church, we need God more than anything else to go before us. And we follow Him closely. Father, this morning we just come to You. We come to You because we love You, Lord. We love You, Father. All of eternity we will never fully fathom the depth of Your love. 
who would redeem us with his own life. Who would redeem a total, absolute, reprobate stranger like me, like us, with your own blood. Who would Lord but you? The thirst in every heart is for love. To be loved is a cry of every human heart standing here. Yet we refuse the love of the one who has loved us without limit. I pray today our eyes, our hearts, our minds would be open to your love. To know how much you love us. So that we would be satisfied, content in your love. As Paul was able to say, I am content. Help us to be content, Lord, in your love. So that it is content people who go out and preach this gospel of love. That when they speak the truth, they speak it because they love. And I pray, Lord, as we fast, as we cleanse our hearts, there would be an outpouring of God's love into our hearts. Your love, Lord, for you and for one another and for the people you take us to. To be able to love as you loved us. Baptize us once again with your love, with your boldness, with your strength, with your power, with your healing, with your deliverance, Lord. Fill us. Help us to love India. These people are not our enemies. It's the powers of darkness that operate behind them. Therefore, once again as a church, we take authority in the name of Jesus. We bind every force of darkness that is operating over this nation. We command you, forces of darkness, to release the people of India. I pray there will be an opening of eyes over this land, an opening of ears over this land. The spiritually deaf will hear the voice of the living God. The spiritually blind, their eyes will be open and they will see the glory of the risen Lord. O oh, Father, bold, fearless men and women will go stretch forth, O oh Lord, willing to risk their lives even to enter villages where they have been asked not to enter. Because they love you and because they love what you love. Oh, Father, I pray revival will begin. Yesterday, I believe, Lord, was a shift that was taking place in the spiritual realm. There is a shift taking place, oh Lord. The powers of darkness are being pushed back because they have awakened a sleeping giant, oh Lord. The church in India, I believe, Lord, is, is rising up. And I pray for every church, Lord, that will be found faithful at our post. Faithful in prayer, faithful in the word, faithful in what we speak and what we teach. And above all, Lord, your word says, love covers. That will cover one another with your love, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. I just surrender the church and commit the church and Pastor Vijay into thy hands, O Lord. When as I leave this week, I pray your presence would go with me and your presence would tarry with your people here, Lord. Be with us both, Lord. Prepare us for what you have to give it to the people, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. 
Now we just by faith lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, Father. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.